Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Talking about just all that we've been through the last um, couple of years, whether it be masking and COVID or... um, or whatever, you know, whether it be the economy, uh, y'all know it's, it's hard to fill up your gas tank right now. Uh, sometimes we felt like we're in the book of Revelation, right? And so we are, as a church family, we're reading through the book of Revelation. So I'd like to invite you to open up with me to, if you have a Bible, uh, open up with me, or if you have an app on your phone, we do have some Bibles in the back that you can grab or wave your hand and Brother Andre will get you a Bible. We'd love you to open up to Revelation chapter 15 with us, Revelation chapter 15. And if you're new with us today, I apologize because the last week, this week, and next week are probably three of the hardest chapters in the entire book to preach. I'm even toying with next week's sermon title because it talks about the great prostitute talking about Babylon and I'm like I can't call a sermon the prostitute and so like it's just that what what you see in Revelation is there is in your face graphic imagery that really is meant to remind God's people his church to be faithful to persevere and so let's begin by reading Revelation chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 together It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. That's the key, right? Which are the last. So we're coming to the end of time. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image, And the number of its names standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sung the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of nations. This is a key question in the entire book of Revelation, verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked in the sanctuary of the tent of witness, kind of alluding to the Old Testament tabernacle. Uh, In heaven was opened, and out of heaven came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke of the glory of God and his power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Just so you know, when you come across the word finished in the book of Revelation, it's the same word telestai that we see in the New Testament when Christ cries out on the cross, it is finished. And that's why our sermon series is entitled, The War is Over. Revelation is not necessarily about a future war to be fought. It's about a victory that has already been accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. And whatever may come, whatever may come, 
we'll see the refrain over and over and over. It is finished and it is done. So whatever life may bring, we know that Christ has done everything that he said he was going to do and everything that we need him to do for his glory and our good. I'm going to recap here at the very beginning. So it's good if you're joining us for the first time. I'll kind of catch you up with the entire book of Revelation. Revelation opens up in chapters 2 and 3, and it's addressed to seven churches. We see first church is Ephesus. Ephesus had lost their first love. We see Smyrna. Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only two churches that aren't rebuked, that the, that the angel and Jesus didn't have anything negative to say about. But in their poverty, they were rich. Pergamum is where Satan's throne was. Pergamum was also where the martyr Antipas was killed. Thyatira, uh, Thyatira compromised. They tolerated the the evil sexual spirit of Jezebel, which is what we'll get to next week when we're talking about uh, false kingdoms. And in apocalyptic imagery, a lot of times, sexuality is used to kind of portray a message. So virgin means pure. Uh, in, in, uh, sexually indiscriminate means that you're, you're, you're swaying from God in apocalyptic imagery. Sardis, they were told to wake up. They were asleep. Philadelphia, they, were, they had little power, but they endured. And then Laodicea, some of y'all probably heard about Laodicea. They were neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. So the entire book of Revelation is written in three different types of literature. It's a letter, it's a prophecy, but it's also an apocalypse. And apocalyptic language uses things like bowls of wrath, which we'll get to here in a minute, just to communicate a simple truth. It's not necessarily how we go around talking nowadays. We're not like, hey, Reese, why don't you blow a seal? You know, like, hey, let's talk about the trumpet that you picked up. You know, maybe if you're a musician, maybe, you know. But this is just imagery, and the imagery is meant to communicate something to seven churches. And these seven churches, this letter is passed along to us today as the church. So we see the seven churches. Then we get to the seven seals. And the seven seals open up with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that's just symbolic of conquest, war, famine, and death. We see that all over our world today, right? Conquest, war, famine, and death. Turn on TV, turn on CNN, Fox, wherever you, NBC, wherever you get news, you will see conquest, famine, war, and death. We also see the heavenly martyrs and natural disasters, which all culminates in silence. And then we get to the trumpets. And in the trumpets, we see that they were blown and devastation came to earth, to the sea, to mankind. Locusts and Calvary came. And then ultimately, the thing that we all look forward to, the kingdom comes. So I heard, I was reading, a, I was a, listening to a pastor in Texas named Matt Chandler this past week, and he, uh, I like to listen to him and a John Piper and a few other people that kind of help uh, give a perspective on uh, these uh, chapters, because they're very difficult, and those people are much smarter than me. And, uh, and when I was listening to it, Matt Chandler gave a, a good analogy, so I'm going to give him credit for it. Anybody ever seen Lord of the Rings? Anybody ever seen Lord of the Rings? Y'all remember when he gets to the last movie, and this is a spoiler, I promise, I'm not going to mess it up for you. But when it gets to the last movie, I think it's called Return of the King, it takes that thing like an hour and a half to end. Y'all remember, it like ends and you think it's over with, 
and then the screen comes back up and it ends again. The screen comes back up and it ends again. You ever get to a movie and it's wrapped up and then you look at the runtime and you know there's 30 minutes left? That's kind of like what the book of Revelation is. It's a series of windows. It, it's it's a different perspectives on what God is going to accomplish and what he has already accomplished. So we, we look at it and we look at it at the angle of the seals. We look at it at the angles of the trumpet. We look at it at the angles of the bowls. Next week, we're going to look at Babylon, the evil empire, the great prostitute as it's referred to, the perspective of the end times from there. Then we're going to talk about the rider on the white horse, the perspective of the coming king. It's all about perspective. It's just telling a story that the war is over and it's been accomplished by Jesus. So today, we're going to talk about the bowls. Maybe you've heard about the bowls of God's wrath. The thing about the bowls is the trumpets, the trumpets consumed a, a, a fourth of the earth. Or, or not, the seals consumed a fourth of the earth. The trumpets consumed a third of the earth. Now the bowls completely devastate the earth. The bowls bring, bring completion. So what is happening here, John is writing this vision given to him by Christ, and he's writing this vision, and he's, he's presenting bowls and, and seals and trumpets. He's trying to reiterate the same point, which is this. Our big idea today is God's wrath reveals our worship. God's wrath reveals our worship. Now, we don't always like to talk about God's wrath. We like to talk about the God of mercy. Some people read the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, they're all the inspired Word of God. And they say, well, I don't like the Old Testament God more than I, I like the New Testament God more than I like the Old Testament God. Because God seems pretty angry in the Old Testament. He seems pretty kind in the New Testament. Well, you get to the book of Revelation, you're reminded that God's not, he didn't lose his wrathful nature. Wrath exists because love has to be. Because if you, I mentioned this last week, if you didn't love something, you wouldn't have wrath against it if what you loved was hurt. Think about it. You have kids. Somebody hurts your kids. Mama wrath is going to come out, right? Daddy wrath is going to come out. You have to have wrath against things that are evil and that are painful and that aren't good. And that's what God exists towards sin. God exists in an eternal state of wrath against things that aren't of him. God's wrath burns against everything that is unholy and unpure. But we're going to get to the good news here in a minute. The good news is that in Christ, that wrath is gone. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So seven bowls, I'll recap them here uh, pretty er, really quick, and then we're going to get into the text. We see in the seven bowls, which I'll read in a moment, the earth is judged, the seas are judged, the sun is judged, the beast is judged, the Euphrates, or borders, as we'll get to, are judged, and the final judgment comes. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what scripture tells us. And so what we see is that since God's wrath reveals who or what we worship, first we see that the bowls, here we're going to start in the good, on the good side, the bowls reveal worship. The bowls reveal worship. So the seven angels are given seven plagues, and those are the bowls of God's wrath, and he pours it out. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, we see that another sign is given. This is a prelude to the final judgment that's coming. 
And in this prelude, we see that the wrath of God is finished. So like I said, the same word that we see, uh, Christ crying out on the cross, that it is finished, it is done. Then we see in verse 2, we see in what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, meaning looming judgment, and those who had conquered the beast were there and its image. This ties back into, if you remember studying the seven churches in our small groups this last semester, we, we, we talked about it, right? Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what the Spirit say over and over to each of the churches, those who conquer will receive this blessing. They will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who loved him. The word here for conquer is the same word that we get the little swoosh on some tennis shoes that we wear, Nike, Nikeo. It means absolute victory. And we know that shoes can't give us victories. Y'all remember Zion blew out of his shoes. Y'all remember that? In, high school, in college, he lost his shoes. completely went. Shoes aren't the ultimate sign of victory, but Christ is. He's the ultimate Nike. And we see, he, we see what John's wanting to do here is he's wanting to take, he's going to get to the bad side of God's wrath, but what he's looking at right now with the bowls is that the wrath of God reveals who or what we worship, and for God's redeemed, for God's people, they glorify the God of wrath because he is the protector. He is the sustainer. He provides all things. John's wanting us to feel something here. He talks about this playing with harps and Back in biblical times, harps were kind of like modern-day, you know, guitars or, 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 or piano. It was, it was the instrument of the day. And so what John is wanting us to do is to feel the praise that's breaking out. He refers to the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb, two and one, tying the Old Testament and the New together. If you all know about the Song of Moses, we see in the book of Exodus, chapter, end of chapter 14, most of chapter 15, the Israelites, y'all remember, let my people go, right? They, they escape Pharaoh. They get through the Red Sea, and then on the shores of the Red Sea, they together sing a song of God's deliverance. And what we're being reminded here in the book of Revelation is God didn't just deliver the Israelites. He delivers all of his people. A series of windows, right? Isn't it awesome how the Bible works together? How the Old Testament and the New Testament all points to the same thing. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is finished. It is done. Then we get to that verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Most pressing verse in all of Revelation. That's the question that we have to answer as we move on and we read the rest of chapter 16. So let's look at chapter 16, and then we're going to close out our time with some reflections on chapter 16 today. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. Now get this, the only one who could be in the temple was, was God himself. So this is God's voice. I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. We talked about the mark of the beast a few weeks ago. And we talked about how 666 is something we, we all like get crazy about. But really what it meant, 6 is one less than what number? 7. 
Seven's perfection. That's why we have seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets. It literally means that the unholy trinity of the two beasts and the dragon that we're looking at here in Revelation, the unholy trinity can only match up the 666. It can't go to God's perfection, to his glory. And so what we see is that the enemy can't accomplish. The enemy might win a temporary battle, but he's lost the war. He's lost the war, and we are victorious. So let's see verse 2. It says, verse 3, And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing that died was in the sea. I encourage you to go back and read about the plagues in the book of Exodus. They're basically just being repeated here. Because there's nothing new. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The 66 books of Scripture don't contradict one another. They go together. And what we see is the Old Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. And so we see the plagues of the Egyptian time were just a sign of what God's final judgment was going to be upon all those who didn't follow him. And so these bowls poured into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say... Just are you, O Holy One, who was, who is, and who was. For you brought out these judgments, and for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and they gave them blood to drink. Now here's the key. It is what they deserve. Now sometimes when we talk about God's wrath, we're like, well, that's not fair. Wouldn't God want all of us to spend eternity with him? Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That seems hateful. It seems hateful to those who haven't yet surrendered to Christ. But for those who surrendered Christ, we, we see that Christ has accomplished something for us that no one else could do. You can go to Buddha's grave. You can go to Muhammad's grave. You can go to every other spiritual authority in our day, their grave. But you can't go to Christ's grave. Because he's not there. He's defeated death, hell, and the grave. J.I. Packer said about this verse, Nobody stands under the wrath of God except those who have chosen to be there. Let me rephrase that again. No one stands under the wrath of God except for those who have chosen to be there. Millard Erickson says in his systematic theology called Christian Theology, he says this, hell, hell, which is the absence of God. Now get that. I mean, when we think about hell and in media, we think about pitchforks and we think about fire and all that. Hell's the most miserable place you could spend eternity because God isn't there. Hell, or the absence of God, is simply God giving what a person, to a person, what he or she has always been longing for. Let me say that again. Hell, the absence of God, is God simply giving that person what he or she has always asked for or longed for. We talked about this last week. It's hard to talk about these things. It's, it's hard to talk about God's wrath. But that's the good news is that in Christ, we aren't under these bowls. 
we aren't a part of this. We, we're, we're a part of the story, but we're a part of chapter 15. We get to cry out in worship of the one who has spared us. We see in verse 8, oh, verse 7, it says, And the altar, and I heard the altar, and you have to go back to earlier in the book of Revelation. It's the altar we talked about when we looked at the seals. The altar is, is the, the martyrs that are crying out under the altar, and they're crying out, How long, O Lord, will you judge, and will it be before you judge and avenge our, and, and avenge our blood? And then we see in verse 7, the altar cries out saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. It means that even though you may lose your life for your king, your king will avenge you. Your king will bring you into eternal rest. Your king has won that war. So when we see people overseas being beheaded, when we see people losing their lives, death to the Christian is not loss. Death to the Christian is gain. It's like my mom's parents, my grandparents, when Charles Carter, when we told them that Mamie Carter had, had died, his wife of 50 years, his first words were, oh, praise God. How do you have that? Well, praise God, she's bugging me. I'm glad she's dead. No, that wasn't his heart. His heart was, my wife of 50 years is gone. But praise God, she's not hurting anymore. Praise God, she's found that rest she always believed in. This is the perspective that Revelation leads us to. It's a perspective of security. It's a perspective of rest. Verse 8, And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent or give him glory. That's the key. Even up until the very end, they had an opportunity to repent. And they didn't. They didn't repent. And they didn't give him glory. In fact, they cursed his name. We'll get to that here in a moment. So nature is destroyed. Now Christ is going after the beast. And we talked about the beast a few weeks ago. We talked about the beast being uh, evil politics, the first beast, and the second beast being evil religion, and religion that is too tied in to politics. And then we see that the dragon... The dragon is Satan. It's pretty clear about that in the book of Revelation. So here we get to the, fifth, to the fifth bowl. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom and plunged it into darkness. People gnawed on their tongues in anguish. This seems very graphic. This is talking about mental instability. This is talking about how every foundation we can try to build ourselves on, apart from Christ, is like sink and sand, right? But we are called to build upon the rock. The rock doesn't ever move. And they curse the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. Rather than repenting, they cursed him, and they did not repent of their deeds. Their deeds, not his. They didn't repent of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Let me tell you a little bit of a history lesson at this time. The river Euphrates was the easternmost point of the Roman Empire. And this river provided security. It provided security against invasion. Because the empire that threatened Rome in the ancient Near East was the Parthians. 
the Parthians inhabited, which is kind of a modern-day Iraq and Iran. And the Parthians, like the Babylonians and Persians before them, threatened Rome. And if the Euphrates dried up, the borders were gone. Safety was no longer there. And so what we see is that this bowl dries up those borders to prepare the way for the king from the east, talking about the Parthian king, to come in and conquer Rome. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, now let's get this, a lot of symbology here, but mouths in Revelation are important because your mouth is important to what you confess. Your mouth, where Revelation is, like my seminary professor said, uh, Gerald Stevens, Revelation is a war of words. It's about what do you believe about Christ? What will you say about Christ? Will you call upon his name or will you trust in yourself? And I saw coming out from the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the second beast, three unclean spirits like frogs. Now, if Laura was here, she would laugh because our boys like playing with frogs. Y'all ever had boys that they bring frogs and nasty things in the house? Well, the reason they're nasty is they've always symbolized being nasty. Frogs in this day represented unclean spirits. It was symbolic. So don't think if Braden brings a frog in the house, oh, unclean spirit. You know, no, but it meant something nasty. And so what we're seeing here in this apocalyptic imagery is out of their mouth came nothing but evil. And, and John tells us in verse 14, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world and assemble them for the battle on the great day of the Lord, the Almighty. The, the, the spirit of evil has been, a, has been upon every empire to ultimately turn to its own good and its own glory rather than the glory of God. So whether that be Germany, whether that be Russia, whether that be North Korea, whether that be China, whether that be, maybe we look in the mirror, maybe the United States, whatever it might be, if we turn from Christ, we are inhabiting the spirit of the, of the beast. We are inhabiting and we are performing in that way. And so what we see is that ultimately we can assemble for battle and we'll get there in a minute at Armageddon. We can assemble for, for battle, but the war is already over even when we try to fight it because it's been won on the cross. And so what we see in verse 15, Christ speaks for the first time since chapter 4. He says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen as exposed. When the Parthians or the Babylonians or evil, any evil empire during this day, whenever they conquered someone, they'd strip them naked and they would parade them around. It was to humiliate them. It was to show them their vulnerability. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus, yes, he will come like a thief unexpectedly, but we will be exposed to him. We will give account to him. But for those who are his, he will tell us, fear not. He will say at the great white throne of judgment, this one's mine. Verse 16, and they assembled them at the place in Hebrew, which is called Armageddon. It was a good movie. Anybody saw Armageddon? Bruce Willis? Okay, I was trying to be light. You know, uh, Armageddon is a, a valley in uh, modern day uh, Israel, Jordan called um, Megiddo. And, and Megiddo is a flat plain. It's not a mountain. 
Armageddon, the first part of the word there means mountain. So what we see here is not, it's not even about a physical place. It's all symbolic. Megiddo is, Armageddon is where wars were fought during that time. And what we're seeing here is that a war will be fought against the great mountain of God, Zion, his coming kingdom, but that war will not win because the war is over. And so what we do is we see we get here to the very end. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne saying what? It is done. It's done. And there were flashes of lightning. Think about Sinai when Moses encountered the greatness of God on that mountain and there were flashes of lightning rumbling, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. And so great was that earthquake and that great city, talking about Babylon, the evil empire that we had built, that great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her what? Drain the cup. Drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. And no mountains were found. And great hailstones, heaven, I mean, the, the skies are literally falling in on themselves. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people. And what was their response? Not to cry out to God for help. Their response still was this. And they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. That's really what the main point of all this is. It may sound scary to read all this about God's wrath and, and frogs and bowls and all that, but here's the point. The point is what's missing. The bowls reveal worship. The bowls reveal wrath. And in that wrath, one thing is missing. Repentance. God has given these people every opportunity that they would need to follow him. And God's given you every opportunity. You are here today. You have breath in your lungs. The COVID plague hasn't like gotten a hold of me yet because there's an opportunity here today for us to respond to Jesus. If God's wrath reveals who or what we worship, the question then is who do we worship? Second Peter, and I'll close with this verse, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that to the Lord, that to the Lord, a that one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, unexpectedly. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And in that day, here's what we know. Romans 10, 13 says this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Now in that moment, that opportunity has passed. But right now we have that opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm not trying to scare the you-know-what out of you so that you'll follow Jesus. You don't follow Jesus just because of what you don't get. You follow Jesus because of what you get. The Bible says this, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will he give his very presence, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? So I don't know if you've been in a dark place. I don't know if the last two years to you have been rough. Y'all, hey, the last week, you know, Thursday to today in the Ross house have been rough. You don't know how much you need your wife till she's gone, right? Men say that, amen, right? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? There's too many people to keep from dying, like, in my house, you know? There's too many people to feed, you know? That's why we've been eating fast food, right, Colton? You know, it's... We're here today because of God's grace. We have breath in our lungs, which COVID reminded us of. I don't know if you know anybody that passed away from COVID, but what COVID did is it took breath away, right? I had a few people that I knew, even a pastor friend of mine that died from COVID. COVID is is a reminder. God doesn't cause evil things to happen, but God uses evil things to remind us of his good. Think about the story of Job. God didn't cause any of the bad things to happen to Job, but God allowed them to happen to Job because he knew that Job would be faithful. He knew that Job would endure. And at the very end, he blessed Job more than Job was already blessed. That's a sign to us as his people that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from the muck that we create. We're saved from the decisions that have caused us pain. We are saved from ourselves. He gives us everything. Hebrews 13, verse 14, it says, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is, it's a qualifier. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. One day every knee will bow, but until then, let us practice a heart posture of bowing to the King of Kings and serving those who desperately need him. We're going to have a time of response. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm actually going to ask Andre, since I may have been exposed to, to, to you know, Rona this week, I'm not going to pray with you in your face. You know, I'm going to get Andre to come up here to the front. He would love to pray with you. Um, Reese, would you mind coming up and, and praying with someone if they need If you need Jesus, if you need prayer, we would love to encourage you. Now is the time. Let's not wait for the bowls of God's wrath. Let's let's rest right now in the promise that we have as his children. His children that are given good gifts when we simply ask. So let's cry out and let's ask. Lord, we thank you so much 
for who you are. We thank you for your scripture, God. We thank you for the hard passages. We thank you for the encouraging passages. Lord, and I pray even the challenging moments of our lives and your word would lead us to trust you even deeper. Lord, we love you. And today, Lord, we pray that if someone here, Lord, needs to respond, Lord, they would have the boldness. It's not about shame. It's about releasing and surrendering all to you. It's about looking at you and seeing how great you are. And since you're so great and since all of this is done, we can surrender. So help us to do that right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.